0: Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech and Future Tech Health podcasts. I have Mary Ellen Hart, PhD. She likes to be called Mel, it looks like. Uh, She co-authored the online book, Cool the Earth, Save the Economy in 2008, produced a weekly series, The Climate Change Report podcast in 2011. Uh, From 1999 to 2010, she produced and hosted a weekly summer radio program, Nature Notes, Natural History in the Colorado Rockies. Uh, She authored a Huffington Post blog series addressing climate change with ecologist and her husband John Hart in 2010 and 2011 and she's worked as a botanical and biological consultant on various environmental projects and publications uh, with him for decades Uh, so she's very involved in looking at climate seeing the effects and that's what we're going to be talking about today so Mel thanks for coming
1: most welcome
0: yeah I guess first question is um, maybe it's a silly question but why do you have such an interest in the climate for so many years
1: I I think because um, I, I'm like a fly on the wall to a lot of other scientists for whom climate uh, change was a really important evolving issue. Um, it's something that was actually predicted in the late 1800s by a chemist. He simply took a look around at what was happening with the Industrial Revolution and the carbon emissions and said, hey, this is going to happen and this is how fast it's going to happen. And he actually did just a back-of-the-envelope uh, calculation that showed uh, we, we were going to heat up by at least a couple of degrees by uh, the end of the 20th century, uh, or close to that anyway, about a degree or so. And so well before it was on the radar screen of the general public of society, someone had predicted this. And Scientists were starting to see this and recognize that it it was beginning uh, well back in the uh, late 80s, early 90s. And then watching my husband put together a global warming field experiment, the first in the world in 1990, just made it that more um, evident to me about how our world was changing. And then I was able to see it personally, too, in the Rockies, just from living there every summer and really keeping a very close pulse on the world around me, you could start to see changes. Uh, and some of them are quite poignant.
0: What, what are some examples of the changes you saw in the Rockies?
1: Well, okay. Let me tell you a story. At one point, this was a few years ago, John, my husband, and uh, Tim Wirth, who used to be the senator to Colorado... Um, had a discussion about uh, the science and politics of climate change in our local town of Crested Butte, Colorado. And they uh, had a very intelligent audience. The audience of Crested Butte is a very intelligent audience, uh, asking good questions. And they explained the science and they explained the politics and all of these interesting things. Um, but then somebody in the audience said, more to the point, which is how we react more compellingly through our emotions. And she asked quite simply, yes, but what about the butterflies? And I realized at that point that a very good way, a very compelling way to connect with people is to address those questions that really hit to our heartstrings. And I said, if I may, I'd like to tell you a story. And I think it was just that summer where I had watched with uh, the intense heat. Now, butterflies develop. They come out of their chrysalises, their special little cocoons, uh, emerging as butterflies from a caterpillar. That's pretty well known. What I was seeing, though, were new butterflies that were coming out of their cocoons, but without enough water. They They had basically because of higher temperatures, more water had evaporated out of their cocoons. And because they didn't have enough water, not all of their wings were pumped up. So they were crawling around the ground and you knew they weren't going to last very long because they didn't have any way of getting quickly to a source of water. And I was seeing more than one butterfly than that. And I told them the story. This is what's happening with our butterflies. And when I told them this, you could hear a sigh go throughout the entire audience. So humans respond really um, intensely to stories. And I felt like it was important to get out and connect with people on that other plane, too.
0: Yeah, no, it's true. What, um? Do you think that climate change is politicized only in the U.S.? Or is worldwide, has it become a political issue for some reason?
1: No, I think, in fact, the U.S. is an anomaly uh, where... There are, we're one of the uh, largest producers of fossil fuels uh, in the world today, and you have uh, fossil fuel industries that make sure it's politicized. Um, and in the rest of the world, uh, there isn't that same economic incentive. Even Norway, which has a very large national oil company, uh, they recognize climate change and are trying to do something to counter um their activities, although probably the best thing they could do is stop their activities and find alternative forms of investment for the money that they've accrued uh, with their uh, national industry. But for the most part, uh, the rest of the world is simply not really producing the fossil fuels, doesn't have the incentive to politicize it, and within especially the last 10 years, haven't seen the increased effects of climate change worldwide, and also uh, very much within their own countries. Every country has its story to tell at this point. And so it's it's run past the point of really being politicized in most countries. Now, China, of course, is a very big nation, and it has to try to balance its ability to, to, um, uh, to prop up their political system and uh, try to... And they are still on that sort of false measure of economic growth is good for us. Uh, but that entails a lot of uh, climate changing pollution. And they're even starting to recognize that too. So it's going to be interesting to see what China does in the future in terms of its political message of climate change, except that they are really, unlike us, going really strongly into uh, clean energy and becoming a clean energy uh, leader. And that's one way that the political uh, system over there is signaling that they're really concerned about climate change. Whereas in the U.S. under the Trump administration, we have um, absconded our roles or responsibility and and really losing out on a great opportunity even for our economy to lead, at least in terms of developing clean energy sources.
0: I don't know if you looked at calculations by various scientists um, what will it take to slow or stop the warming and what will it take to to really get you know change over the world's economies to uh, to where we're in a sustainable position
1: that's going to be um, that's going to hinge on many factors and one is the willingness to go ahead and pursue many avenues very important avenues um, and how fast we do it the simple thing is that whenever we do do it, whenever we do start making a major dent in uh, decreasing climate changing pollution, we will see effects beginning day one. Um, a lot of people say, oh, it's going to take centuries for it to come down and so forth. Well, the, the important take home message is, for instance, if everybody stopped climate changing pollution tomorrow, within a year, you'd start seeing atmospheric uh, changes in levels. And that would, be, that would also signal a slowdown of some of the changes that are underway. Of course, the important thing to understand is right now, um, we have set in motion uh, changes that will have long-term consequences. But the longer we delay uh, really stopping our climate-changing uh, pollution, the more consequences we're going to have long-term And some of them are going to be irreversible uh, when you realize that there's a major extinction event going on. And part of it is due to our climate changing pollution. Um, Once a species is gone, it's gone. We don't get it back.
0: So what are the, um, are are there any immediate ways to have a big impact on climate change? And are there stuff that's going to have to wait until technology improves and come later? Like, What do you see as the order in which we need to attack things?
1: Okay. I see. First of all, the cheapest way to have an immediate impact is to ban deforestation. We have to uh, preserve our remaining forests, which are really good at um, storing carbon. And we also have to improve. We have to uh, recover some of the ones that we've lost. So that's a really, probably the cheapest, most effective way of trying to go ahead and slow climate change. Uh, the next one, and I think this is uh, certainly true that we could uh, be upping, the United States could once again be taking a lead in switching to clean energy as quickly and fast as possible. It's not a technological problem. It's a political problem. We have the technology. We just don't have the political will at this point to pursue it. It would also be an economic bonanza for us. But again, when you have fossil fuel industries exerting uh, influence on the political leadership, uh, that's a, a real major barrier. But it would be very easy for us to go ahead and become a leader in uh, clean energy if um, we were properly encouraged by the political powers. Um, Finally, there's something that I think a lot of people don't like to talk about, simply because it brings up all sorts of emotional feelings. But actually, as one young uh, colleague said to me, hey, it just makes sense. And it makes sense economically, uh, as well as environmentally. um, And that's simply making... uh, Effective family planning, free, uni- universally available to everyone for free, and especially in the United States. Um, we've been able to, uh, I should say we, various uh, experts have been able to go ahead and tie rising populations in the United States to stress, which leads to all sorts of medical problems and mental problems. Um An increase in crime, Uh, they were able to, I think uh, there was a good Freakonomics uh, episode in which two economists were able to look at a wealth of data from the 1980s and 90s when, relatively speaking, we had a lot of uh, good accessible family planning. And they showed that there was a decrease of crime during that period, which then sort of went back up as uh, accessibility, accessibility decreased. Um, And, you know, family planning, too. We're talking about preventing unintended pregnancies. So this would also be something that a lot of people who feel very seriously about abortion should be embracing. Because it's been shown that whenever there is family planning, uh, there is a decrease in abortions. So if people really want to see abortions disappear, um, they probably can do so much faster by just making sure that family planning uh, materials are open to everyone in the United States, whether they are citizens or not. Um, One of the things that I think a lot of people don't recognize is that the people who are most likely to have unintended pregnancies that result in uh, living children are poor, relatively uneducated young women uh, not the teenagers, it's, it's young women from the ages of 20, uh, 20 going all the way up to 40, actually, but especially 20 to 35. And these poor, uneducated women, a lot of them are women, uh, poor women of color and undocumented women. So Trump's policies, for example, right now are, are doing everything they can to encourage um, undocumented uh, women in the United States to have babies. Um, He's encouraging uh, what he would derisively call them having anchor babies, and it's his policies that that are doing it. So there are many, uh, many reasons why we should be doing something which just makes sense. Uh, We could be saving so much on the costs that unintended pregnancies. Uh, We could be saving so much in terms of national costs that are, are crude due to unintended pregnancies, and it Ramifies in all directions the economy uh the economic welfare of families um, in fact, there was a recent study looking at fifty years of family planning in the u s and it showed that when you have family planning in place uh, you can go ahead it results in higher incomes, higher labor force participation, higher education levels for children um so there are many, many things that would go ahead and bolster our, our economy and the welfare and well-being of the United States if we had free access to family planning.
0: Well, a lot of people seem to talk about the technological aspects of slowing or halting climate change. You know, we're talking about family planning. Um, I mean, that, that also appears to be against the backdrop of uh, Population growth slowing, but still increasing. The population is still growing. Uh, do you feel like um, I don't know, any tipping points that you see are nearest that technology could fix or that, you know, family planning could fix? Like, what do you think is most within reach?
1: Um, what do you mean by what do you think is most in reach? A tipping point? A What are you
0: asking? Well, yeah, I, I asked you two questions. I'm sorry. Do, do you feel like uh, climate change is at a tipping point? where in the next, I don't know. Ten years, five years, we're going to see really some dramatic changes in climate, you know, at least in certain areas. And then, what technologies or things can be done? Do you think to start staving off uh, the worst effects of climate change in the near term? So it was a two-part question.
1: Okay, the magnitude of changes underway from climate change—none of our technology is going to be able to quote unquote fix. Um, it's it's sort of like watching a boulder start its way down a a steep cliff. Um, It's going to gather more and more speed and better to keep that boulder up there rather than try to stop it on the way down because technically, no, we're not going to stop it. Carbon storage, a lot of people think, oh, we could really do this. It would would pay for itself. Well, no one has shown that carbon storage would pay for itself, especially when you think about the magnitude of carbon that we would have to take out of the atmosphere. Uh, I don't think we're ever going to get to the point where it quote unquote pays for us. We won't have the money because what's happening under climate change is not just that the climate is changing, but that populations are being increasingly battered by disasters from all sides. And we're seeing the first layer of it with these extreme weather events of floods and so forth. But then later on, we're gonna be seeing rising sea levels where it will start flooding the most populated sections of the earth, uh, where it will start really affecting food production. And these are major things that are gonna be happening that will require our resources to try to counter. But at the same time, we won't have, we'll have basically a triage of what we can do at that point. Do we go ahead and start investing in carbon capture when, hey, we have to eat? (laughs) Um, So, technology uh, can only take us so far. The best use of technology is, as I said, developing clean energy sources and improving the development of uh, clean energy sources as well as uh, energy conservation in general. And the thing to really unlock the greatest change is to create a political leadership that recognizes these avenues of solutions and acts on them. We don't have that yet. Greta, Greta Thun was absolutely right. You know, how dare you, she said, because you're robbing me of my childhood. I shouldn't be here. Uh, what are you guys doing? You haven't done anything to prevent this crisis and you haven't yet shown me that you're doing enough and in fact it's well known that most of the uh quote-unquote climate goals of uh most countries on earth don't come close to addressing what needs to be done to really slow down climate change so it we don't have the technology to go ahead and put a band-aid on what's coming down the road Uh, that's like saying yeah this boulder is coming towards us and it's accelerating uh who has a really good wall to build against that? And no one does.
0: So what, um, how do you, what's your best guess on how this is going to play out You know, in the near term? What do you think is going to happen? What's likely to happen?
1: We're going to see a lot more disasters, a lot more um, opportunities squandered. Uh, we're going to see a lot more people dying. Uh, we're going to see a lot more stress on society. Someone was saying the other day how there seemed to be so many stress, uh, stressful things, so, many, uh, so much violence. There's been a lot of violence that has happened over resources. And as those resources become stressed because of our avenues of pollution, um, there are going to be more and more consequences in terms of just people fighting over what we have left. And that's going to result in more and more violence. Uh, uh, you know, Right now, a good example, for instance, in Syria, where uh, they probably could have uh, avoided the war if they had a responsible government. But even if they didn't have a very responsible government, it could have been avoided if Syria had had enough water. But the ex- more extreme droughts that are being experienced in the Middle East means that it's very easy for people to suddenly run out of some, something as basic as water and if the government isn't going to do anything for them, that becomes a really good basis for going to war. And the human rights, of course, are part are part and parcel of this. But um, often it's basic resources that uh, promote a lot of warfare. And you're starting to see a lot of people now fighting over resources around the
0: world. So, what's uh, how do you think that you're going to be able to help? I mean, you're spreading the word, but uh, what is there a specific subset of the mission that you want to accomplish through your works?
1: I want to attack the avenue that I feel is getting the least attention and yet could make a big difference. So we've talked about, yes, clean energy and energy conservation as one avenue of solution. We've talked about uh, family planning as another set of solution. We've talked about preservation of ecosystems. Uh, such as forests, as another set of solutions. Um, those those three are pretty big ones, right there. Um, and so I'm going after what I consider is the least talked about one. But I want to go after go after it in a way that first of all addresses people's emotional needs and perspectives, because whether or not you're going to have children is a highly charged emotional perspective, and yet, uh, like like. Each grain of sand makes up a beach. Each family making those choices uh, contributes to our overall profile of population growth. And so very few people are talking about um, family planning as compellingly as people are making the case for uh, technology, uh, the technological road of clean energy and energy conversation, or preserving forests. And what I'm trying to do is balance the tables here because I feel family planning would be the first gigantic step towards having the planet recognize more viscerally every person in their own heart, recognizing how their choice is going to affect the future of their current families and their current children. And so we need to so we need. I, I guess what I'm also saying here is, once again, it's also political leadership. We need the political leadership that recognizes how important that is as a third avenue of the three main avenues that we need to basically clean up our planet and create a more livable future for our our for for humanity on this planet.
0: Mm. Well, very good. What what's the best way for people to start educating themselves to follow up, to, to learn more.
1: To learn more about climate change, to learn more about,
0: uh. Yeah, to learn, to, to get their own butterfly story, meaning, you know, they may be in a, in a place where they have their own butterfly story. They may be seeing the effects. Mm -hmm. They may understand or not understand what's going on. They may not be in a place where they see that or may not be aware of it. How do they get, how do they become more aware, given that they would listen to this on what climate change is doing? And what they can do, if anything, to uh, participate and help prevent it.
1: Well, there are some really good um, news feeds out there. Uh, I think Daily Climate is one. Um, There is. um, There are also. I. I mean, so many books on climate change at this point. uh, That, but, but you know, the the thing is, is that. When you poll people, you you realize that most of them already sort of understand it. They they understand it enough to realize this is a big problem. They're just getting distracted by a lot of other issues. Ultimately, the best thing anyone can do is to really educate themselves about the leaders who understand it and vote for the leaders who understand it. I've sometimes had people say, oh, well, you know, he, he's, uh, he's good on this, but he's not good on issues that affect my people. Uh, uh, or um, they'll say he's, he's good on climate change, but he's not good on uh, issues that affect my people. And what a lot of people are forgetting as soon as they say that, that if climate change isn't, um, isn't uh, fixed, isn't addressed, their people are going to suffer. (laughs) So climate change is like the number one thing. It's sort of like there's a flood coming and you're worried about whether your little group of people are going to um, manage to be treated equally along with the rest of the groups of people that are here. It's like ants fighting over themselves while a flood is coming down uh, the riverbed. We have to deal with that flood that's coming down the riverbed and we have to deal with leaders who recognize that that's the big thing that we first really have to address and put most of our resources towards, as well as trying to address this, as well as possible, you know, uh, the other things that are happening, uh, human inequality and so forth. But we, it shouldn't be an either or issue. It should be an issue where you've got to recognize that when we address climate change, when our political leaders address climate change, they are addressing an issue of human welfare that affects all people. So that's the best thing I would suggest is that people really educate themselves on the political leaders who understand and have a plan for addressing climate change and vote them into office. That's the next thing they have to do. They have to go out and vote and also encourage others to go ahead and become educated on, on the issue of climate change and related problems and go out and vote. Uh, if That's perhaps one of the best things they could do. The other thing is to think very carefully about how the size of their families can not only affect their uh, economic well-being as a family. Uh, there's a very good uh, well-known fact that uh, something like, uh, I'm guessing, 40 or more percent of the typical American family is just a few hundred dollars away from going into debt. And an unintended pregnancy easily tips you into that section of debt, which can then very quickly spiral into poverty. So they should be thinking in terms of when they have a child and however much they might want a child to weigh it against what it means for the children they already have and for the future that they're providing for those children to grow into. So that's another thing that people should be thinking about is uh, a, lot of, a lot of experts are saying if we, have, if we are really going to address uh, bringing our populations to sustainable levels, we have to start thinking of having families of one or being happy with not having any children as well as uh, families of two. But a family of two children, I'm talking about children, families of one to zero or two children. Um, But recognize that when you have two children, you're basically saying I'm fine with the population the way it is because having two children is a point of simply replacement. You haven't done anything to go ahead and bring the population towards a sustainable level with that choice. And so the, the future you're providing for those children is one that's in increasingly, um, inhospitable to them. So, um, that's another thing to think about is your own personal choices when it comes to family. People might say, oh, I can be vegetarian. I can be vegan. Um, I can drive a, an electric car and so forth. And those are crumbs compared to the really big loaf of bread, which is how big is your family? Um, and what are you going to do about affecting that? How uh, mm-hmm. How often are you going to vote for the, the leaders who, again, recognize these important things, important personal choices that we should all be made aware of and be thinking about?
0: All right, well, very good. Now we're, uh, we're at the end of time. So what's the best way for folks to get uh, your books and find out more about your work?
1: Well, cool the earth. Um, I'm uh, if they Google cool the earth, uh, And then uh, HART, H-A-R-T-E, they should probably come to the website where it's a free online book. And even though it's 2008, it means that maybe the clean energy section is a little out of date. But we basically outline the major things that are at work uh, that are unfolding with climate change. And a lot of those major messages haven't changed It's affecting our oceans, it's affecting our weather, it's affecting floods, it's going to affect everything else on this earth.
0: Well, very good. Well, Mel, thank you for coming on the podcast and I appreciate it.
1: You're most welcome. Take care.
0: You're listening to the Future Tech Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies such as artificial intelligence, stem cells, 3D printing, gene editing, Bitcoin, blockchain